0: 1981, the movie Chariots of Fire was released. Movie was <clears throat> based on a true story about two Olympic sprinters from the UK. One was a, a Scottish missionary named Eric Little, and the other was a Jewish man by the name of Harold Abrahams. Both men, Little and Abrahams, ran for the same country both in pursuit of a gold medal and both won gold in the 1924 Summer Olympic Games in Paris. It's a great movie, won four Academy Awards in 1981, including Best Picture. It's a great movie, but one of the most intriguing things about this movie is the contrasts that are made between Eric Little and Harold Abrahams. Though both were sprinters running for the same country and both won gold for their country, they ran for completely different reasons. They had polar opposite motives for running. Abrahams was a a proud man who battled anti-Semitism for his whole life and was running for personal gain, for vain glory to prove to the world that he was the fastest man on the planet. While Little, a committed Christian, ran for God and for his glory. In the movie, there's Abrams two Little's right and Little's winning the race here. But in the movie, we see Harold Abraham's, his entire identity is wrapped up in being a sprinter. In fact, right before he runs for gold in the hundred, he says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. His existence is wrapped up in running. And Eric Little said this in the movie. This is a famous line from the movie. He said, I know God made me for China. He went on to be a missionary in China, died over there on the mission field. He says, I know God made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He said to not run would would be to hold him in contempt. I run to honor him. I run for his glory. And you can see that in this picture, can't you? The difference between these two men. The movie does a great job contrasting these two characters and highlighting the motives behind these men. And though they both win gold at the end of the movie, you see that Abraham's toward the end after winning gold is left empty while Little, who ran to honor God, was overjoyed in his victory. Two men, two athletes running for the same country for Olympic gold with two completely different motives For running. Here's the point. Though the accomplishments we have in this life are important, get this, more important than that are the motives behind why we do what we do. Let me say that again. Though the accomplishments that we have in this life are important, more important than that are the motives behind why we do what we do. If you have your Bibles turn to Acts chapter 8. Last week we looked at verses 9 through 25 and talked about a faith that does not save and we looked at the example of Simon the magician. Remember we said though he looked good on the outside and responded favorably to Philip's message of Christ and was baptized and continued on with Philip in ministry though he looked good though he seemed faithful we learned that he was not though he was with Philip and with other faithful followers of Christ he was not with them for the right reasons he was not following Philip because he believed in Philip's gospel and was not following Philip's Lord but was following him in hopes of purchasing divine power for personal gain Though he had the right activity, he had the wrong motives, and he went away unrepentant and lost. He did not have a faith that saves. Well, this morning we're going to learn of another who does. We're going to be looking at another individual who responds to Philip's ministry and message in the right way. This morning we're going to learn about a faith that does save by looking at the example of the Ethiopian eunuch from verses 26 through 40. So if you're not there yet, get there. Acts chapter 8. Last week we looked at the faulty faith of Simon. This week we're going to be looking at the true and genuine faith of the Ethiopian eunuch. And as I share with you this wonderful story, I want to give you five reasons why genuine faith takes place in this story here, in this account. Here's the first reason why. Number one, because God was in it. That's number one. God was in this encounter. Folks, salvation is a work that God does. And aren't you glad that it is? I am so glad that this work, God's work, is not on my shoulders I'm so glad that the success of his ministry is not based on how I perform. I'm so relieved that though God has called me to minister, though he has called me to study to show myself approved, and he has called for me to grow in godliness so that I can be a more effective minister for him, he is the one at work in and through me. And he can use the foolishness of my words, and often does, to save people. And aren't you glad of that as well? I don't know about you, but that comforts me. That gives me a bit of boldness, knowing that God is the one at work in his spirit is the power behind his ministry. And I simply just get to take part and watch him use the fallible words of my mouth and the flawed efforts of my hands and feet to minister. Folks, get this. We must never forget this. For salvation to happen, for ministry to be fruitful, God has to be in it. He has to do a work. You could deliver a message with the intelligence of R.C. Sproul, the delivery of John MacArthur, the passion of John Piper, and if God is not in it, no fruit will come from it. Well, God was in this encounter with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Just look at it. Look at verse 26 of Acts 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Then skip on down to verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Folks, if you do not see God's hand at work here in this encounter, you need to make an appointment with Dr. Sands after church today. Get your eyes checked, right? I mean, God is all over this, isn't he? We see here that the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch is a work of God. God is taking the initiative. You have an angel of the Lord calling Philip out of Samaria and down from Jerusalem to Gaza to a desert place and the Spirit of God leading him right to this man's chariot. Though Philip is to be commended for his obedience, God is the one to be praised for this man's salvation and for yours and for mine scripture is clear salvation is a work that god does he calls us he draws us he changes us from the inside on out think about this he sent his son to accomplish salvation for us. He sends his people to share Christ with us. He uses his word to instruct us. And he sends his spirit to convict and to convert us. And there are so many places that I could take you in the scripture to show you this. I'll just share two passages with you that clearly highlight the fact that salvation is a work that God does. Ephesians 2:8 and 9. Paul says... For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by God's grace, not by works. And though it says we're saved through faith, we are responsible, right? We're called to respond. Notice Paul couples that statement with, this is not your own doing. You see, it's God who awakens us to faith. Listen to Titus 3, 5. Paul says, God saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, now I mentioned two. Let me give you one more. From the Lord Jesus. John 14, 17, Jesus tells his disciples that they are going to receive his Holy Spirit, but he also tells them the world cannot receive him. Why? It neither sees him nor knows him. We are spiritually dead, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, and there is only one person who can bring a spiritually dead person to life, and that's God. God. And that's what happens here with this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. He is saved because of God. God is in this encounter. He is at work. And not only that, the second reason genuine faith occurs here is not only because God was in it, but because Philip was willing. Philip was willing. Though it is God who saves, he has chosen to save by using us. He uses human agents. He has chosen to make himself known through his people. We get to take part, folks, in the great work that God is doing. And what he asks from us is for us to make ourselves available to him and allow him to use the words of our mouths and that the actions of our hands and feet. To minister, And Philip did just that. He was willing, he was accessible to God, and God used him in incredible ways. Look at verse 26 again, first part of verse 27. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, verse 27, and he rose and went. I love that, don't you? God was looking for an available tool to use for this great work of ministry, and he found one in Philip. I love the first part of verse 27. It says, he rose and went. No questions asked. No arguing. At times, you did have arguing with those God called. We're going to talk about one this week in our equipping class, Moses. Moses had some objections, didn't he? So did Gideon. So did Jonah. Jonah just got on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. Not with Philip. Philip had every reason to want to stay where he was and minister in Samaria. God was doing a great work there. A great revival was taking place. You would think Philip might say, but God, there's great work to be done here. Why do you want me to go 100 miles out of the way, which, by the way, was about how far it was, to this desert place? That seems absurd not very strategic but he doesn't say that does he jump down to verse 29 again in the first part of verse 30 and the spirit said to Philip go over and join this chariot so Philip ran to him isn't that awesome I mean put yourself in in Philip's sandals for a minute you don't know this guy He doesn't know you. You're in the middle of the desert. You might want to say, Well, God, I really don't want to disturb him. I don't want to intrude. And you might, if you approach him, approach him carefully and cautiously. Not Philip. Philip's not concerned with any of that. He finally gets to this guy. He knows this is the guy that God has his sights on. And when he knows that, he takes off in a dead sprint toward him. Philip was available. Philip was willing, he was bold, and therefore he was effective in ministry. And again, God wants us to make ourselves available in this way. So we learn that though God was in this great work, Philip was available and he was used in a mighty way by God. Another reason this work is successful is because, number three, the Ethiopian man was open. Now let me say this before we get into this point. The reason this man was open was because of point number one, right? God was was in this. He was doing a great work in and through this Ethiopian eunuch for him to respond favorably to God and his gospel. If God hadn't been doing a work, if Philip hadn't have gone and shared the gospel with him, this would not have happened. But get this, Scripture is also clear. Though God is sovereign in salvation, though He uses His people and His Word and sends His Spirit to draw men to Himself, Scripture is also clear. Man is responsible. We are called to respond in faith. We are called to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be held responsible if we do not respond. Scripture is crystal clear on that. God is sovereign, man is responsible. This man was saved because he was open to God's truth and because he trusted in God. God's message. We learn in this passage, God is doing a great work in this man's heart before Philip even shows up on the scene. He was restless. He was open. He was not suppressing the truth as it says in Romans chapter 1, but he was looking for answers. Look at verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now let me give you a little background here. Ethiopia in the first century was not the smaller country it is today, okay? And in this day, it made up all of, all of Africa south of Egypt. It was a massive kingdom. One commentary I read said, it was everywhere from the Red Sea to the Great Desert to the west of Africa and from Egypt on down. It was not a small country. It was an enormous empire. And this man had a very important position in this empire. He was in charge of the queen's entire treasury. He was a trusted and influential leader from this huge empire. Reading the background on this man, it turns out God was being very strategic here in saving this man. Though at first it seemed like just some random thing that God called Philip to do, sending him away from this great work in Samaria and out into the middle of the desert in Gaza, it seemed random, but God's being very strategic here. He has special plans for this Ethiopian leader. An early Christian historian named Eusebius who lived around the 4th century said that when this man who had this encounter with Philip went back, he took Christianity to Africa. He says he was the founder of the church of Jesus Christ in Africa. How about that? And we're told here in this story that he came to worship in Jerusalem. Why? Why? Well, he was probably searching for something, wasn't he? Appears as if he was. God had been working in this man's heart. He was restless. He knew something was amiss. Though he had all this honor and prestige and unlimited wealth, everything he wanted at his fingertips, he was not satisfied. He was empty. And do you know how far he had to travel to Jerusalem from his homeland? at least 1,200 miles or more. Apparently he had been exposed to Judaism at one time or another, which wasn't far off, seeing how the Jews were scattered all over the known world at this time. He traveled to their holy city to inquire about and worship their God. And we don't know this for sure, but it seems as if he doesn't find what he's looking for there, does it? We know what was there, don't we, at this time in Jerusalem? A religion that had no heartfelt connection with God anymore? A religion that was filled with cold ceremonialism? A self-centered, works-based system of belief. And though this man had left the Jewish people in Jerusalem, we see, by God's providence, he had not abandoned their scripture, had he? We're told he was reading Isaiah when Philip found him. Boy, God is guiding this man's heart, isn't he? Leading him away from this works-based, man-centered faith and leading him toward his grace-based, God-centered gospel from his word. And this Ethiopian eunuch was open. His heart was ready to receive God's truth. He just needed someone to share it with him, which leads us to our next point. The reason why... This work was successful. The reason why this man placed his faith in Christ is because God was in it, Philip was willing, the Ethiopian man was open, and fourth, because the Scripture was explained. Faith comes through hearing the what? The Word. In order for the Word to be understood and received, it must be explained. Paul said this in Romans 10, 14 through 15. Look at this passage up on the screen. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Boy, Philip had some beautiful feet, didn't he? I wasn't even there to look at him, but I know that. He had beautiful feet. At the first of this chapter, we find that he allowed God to take him to Samaria. Persecution, God allowed persecution. It forced... Philip to go to Samaria and that's the place where he continued to minister and he took the gospel to the Samaritans and here he allows God to lead him out of Samaria and into the desert in Gaza to to this man here at this chariot in this desert place so that the scriptures could be explained and so that this man could be saved look at verse 29 again and the spirit said to philip go over and join this chariot so philip ran to him and heard him reading isaiah the prophet we learn here of all the books that this man could be reading at this time he was in isaiah and and Probably had been reading it for the whole trip from Jerusalem to this point in Gaza. And we'll see in a few verses down that of all the chapters that he could have been in when Philip found him, he was in Isaiah 53, the greatest messianic chapter in the Old Testament which tells of the death of the Messiah and how salvation is made possible through him and through his sacrifice. It's right then and there that Philip shows up. This is not by random chance, folks. This is a divine appointment if there ever was one. God is at work here. And so Philip Here's this man reading Isaiah, and he says, and picture this, he just comes out of nowhere. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This guy was ready. Have you ever shared Christ with somebody, and they gave you the invitation to share with them? I love it when that happens. I've had that happen to me. People come in, they say, how can I be saved? Well, those are exciting opportunities there. Philip has one of these opportunities here. We're told this Ethiopian eunuch invites him to come up into his chariot and imagine once again what this would have been like for the Ethiopian man he's out in the middle of the desert reading a book he doesn't understand and out of nowhere runs this guy who has a deep and solid knowledge of the scriptures look at verse 32 now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. In this passage, Isaiah is prophesying about this one to come and about how he is going to suffer and die and how he's not deserving of death but justice was denied him. He's prophesying that his life here on earth will be brief. He says, who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. He's talking about this man who didn't live long on the earth, this man whose life on earth was brief and ends up with him being treated unjustly and being killed and Isaiah is asking who's going to stand for him who's going to be a witness for him and upon reading this the Ethiopian eunuch is completely confused he asks Philip who is Isaiah writing about here is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else well you know who he's talking about right who's he talking about talking about Jesus right and Philip knew this as well And the Ethiopian man gives Philip a wonderful invitation to share Christ with him. And Philip does not squander that opportunity. Look at verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He explained the scripture to this Ethiopian eunuch. And I want you to notice several things here we learned from Philip about evangelism here. Wonderful truths here. Number one, he used scripture, that's key. Listen, though it's vital for you to share your personal testimony and about how Christ has changed your life because people can't argue against a personal testimony, right? It's vital that you share that. You must also share the Word of God. Use Scripture. Faith doesn't come through hearing Graham's words. Faith comes through hearing God's words. And, and notice also where he started with the man in verse 35. Beginning with this scripture, he told the good news. He didn't go to Romans. Because he didn't have Romans at that time. Paul wasn't converted yet. He didn't quote Peter or John. He started where this man was in Isaiah. He glided in so naturally and beautifully and said, oh, your problem is Isaiah 53. Let me explain it to you. And away he went. Some of you in here don't have a plan for how to share the gospel, and that's where you need to start. You need to develop a plan. You need to know where to take people in the scriptures to show Christ to them and share Christ with them. Romans is good. The Roman road. You can start by talking about how we've all sinned. Romans 3.10, 3.23, explain to them that the payment of sin is death. Romans 6.23, then how we are to confess our sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Romans 10.9 and 10. Enroll in our FBU class. We're talking about evangelism starting next Wednesday. Do that as well. Start there, but don't stop there. You need to move to the point where you can share the gospel from anywhere in the Bible. You need to know the Bible so well, no matter the person you're sharing with, wherever they are, you can get them to Jesus. That's what Philip does here. He used scripture. He started where this man was. Here's the third thing. This is vital. He shared Christ with him from the Old Testament. You're like, you can do that? Yes, you can do that. Folks, wherever you are in the scriptures, you need to be able to see Jesus there. Because all of scripture is about him. this is a good lesson for you parents in here as well, for your kids at home, or for those of you teaching kids in the back, no matter where you are in the Bible, get to Jesus. Because all of the Bible points to Jesus and because there is no other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Philip knew that. He gives us a great blueprint here for evangelism. He was faithful to go where God called him to go. He was faithful to do what God had called him to do. And he approached this man with boldness, and he started where this man was, and he used Scripture to lead him to Jesus. So notice what we've learned here so far about this encounter with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch and why it was a success. One, God was in it. Two, Philip was willing. Three, the Ethiopian man was open. Four, the scriptures were explained. And one last thing, number five, the Ethiopian man responded. He believed and he placed his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized. So they're going along after Philip explains the gospel to this man, and they find water in the desert. How about that? God's in this, right? God's in this situation. He's in control. And the Ethiopian man asked, "What prevents me from being baptized?" Now, let me ask you this. How many of y'all have verse 37 in this account? Look at it closely. Anybody? Raise your hand if you have verse 37. Okay? Okay, a few of you. All right. Mine does not the reason why is because this verse was was added later. It did not appear in the original manuscripts. Now, don't get all bent out of shape over that. Don't go into a panic over that. Some do and say, oh, I thought the Bible's not supposed to have errors. And other people very arrogantly say, ah, I thought the Bible wasn't supposed to have errors. What well, doesn't. We believe that the Bible is without error in the original manuscripts, in the original autographs, in the original Greek and Hebrew, and in our Bibles insofar as they are consistent with the original manuscripts. In Bibles like mine, the SV and the NIV and other translations have corrected this add-on. And even those of you all who have a New King James or NASB, you may have notes by that that let you know that verse 37 was not in the original manuscripts but let me read this verse to you and and explain it briefly this is from the new king james version it says then philip said this is verse 37 new king james if you believe with your heart you may and he answered and said i believe that jesus christ is the son of god now in the early church because there was a lot of heresy, especially in the 2nd century, before somebody was baptized, they would ask them a series of questions because they wanted to make sure the person being baptized had a good knowledge of the Lord Jesus and also to teach those who were watching this person be baptized. And apparently this was an early question that was asked in the early church when someone was baptized. When someone wanted to be baptized, the person... Baptizing, the pastor would say, If you believe with all your heart in the Lord Jesus, you may. And the person being baptized would respond with, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay? So this verse was later added by a scribe. It wasn't in the original. Apparently, there was a concern that the Ethiopian eunuch's faith is not mentioned specifically here. But it's just implied but that doesn't mess me up at all i mean luke doesn't give us all the details of this account does he he doesn't tell us all that 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 philip said about jesus does he he just tells us that he shared the good news of jesus and implied here is the fact that this ethiopian eunuch understood and he trusted in christ alone for salvation so that verse is really not incorrect He did believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God and he placed his faith and trust in him. And afterwards, he follows in believers' baptism. We see the fruit from this man's salvation. He's baptized and he goes away with the joy of the Lord. So we see fruit here. Notice in verse 38, we're told, he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. Baptism by immersion, right? He wasn't by the water. He wasn't splashed up on the shore. We're told he went down into the water. He was baptized, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, baptism by immersion, went down in, came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. God did a miracle here, didn't he? Right here. And why did God do miracles? We talked about this. We've talked about this before in here. He did it to highlight his message and to highlight his messenger. He he did it to affirm his message and notice the fruit of this changed man. We're told that this Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. He had been changed from the inside out and was filled with the joy of the Lord. And and I love how Luke ends this chapter similar to the way he begins it. Look at verse 40. But Philip found himself in Azastus. He was just taken away, wasn't he? And he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Philip continued to preach wherever his circumstances led him and wherever the God behind his circumstances led him to. He was preaching in Jerusalem. Then persecution came. He went to Samaria, and he preached in Samaria. And he preached in Samaria until the angel of the Lord came and took him to the desert place in Gaza, and he preached in Gaza. And then after that, the Spirit of God took him away from there to Azotus and he preached in Azotus And he preached in all the towns until he landed in Caesarea. And what do you think he did in Caesarea? We're not told, but I think We can guess, right? He preached, don't you think? Philip was faithful, and God used him in mighty ways. He was willing, he was available, and allowed himself to be used as a great mouthpiece for God. And he provided hands and feet for God to use in ministry. And God used his message and God used him in ministry in a mighty way. And he was centered upon the person and work of Jesus, his ministry was. And he was used in, in mighty ways for him. And I want to end this morning by asking you this. What about you? What about you? Have you made this kind of commitment? Where does God have you in your life? Who has he put in your path, believers? Who has he led you to? Or who has he led to you? Sometimes he just serves them right up to us, right? Wherever he has you, wherever he has brought you in your life is where he wants you to minister. He has done this for a reason. He wants you to be a witness for him. He wants you to shine light on his gospel and to shine the light of the gospel on this dark and dead world. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like the Ethiopian man. Maybe that's you. You've looked for happiness and enjoyment in the things of this world. and You've come up wanting. You've come up empty time and time again. And you're wondering if there's any point to this life and if it's even possible to be happy long term. Well, I'm happy to tell you this morning it's possible. There's a reason why we're here and it's for God and there is a way to be happy in him forever and that is through his son the Lord Jesus Christ in him in Christ we who are far off from God and enemies of him can be brought near to him and be made a child of his we can be forgiven. We can be brought back into a right relationship with God through Jesus. If we place our faith in Christ alone, trust in his person and work for our salvation. We can be made right with God. We can be promised eternal life in his presence forever. And if you're here this morning, you've not responded to this message. If you've not placed your faith and trust alone in Christ, I urge you to do so today. Trust in him. Make him your Lord right here, right now, today, and be saved. Let's pray.